0: Well, if you're at home and you have your Bible in your lap, I'd invite you to open it with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. We've uh, set our hearts in this great letter of the Apostle Paul the last couple weeks, and we return to it again uh, this morning. Maybe this will be the last week we'll, we'll camp out in this book. You remember first time we were here a couple weeks ago, we Uh, Let Paul extol to us and declare to us again the good news that Jesus has made peace with God. And that that peace with God ought to overflow into all the horizontal relationships of our lives. And then last week we pressed in a bit further to what this looks like, namely a, a slow walk, deliberate Walk of gentleness, humility, patience, and love. Brothers and sisters, in all these things, God is out to change us. He is molding us, He is making us for for His glory. And when I say us, I mean the church. Those of you who know and love the Lord Jesus and are seeking to follow him, he is recreating you through the the putting off of the old man and the putting on of the new. He's making a new creation, who you were made to be created, as he says, after the likeness of God and true holiness and righteousness. Righteousness. And you'll hear in a moment as I read the passage that we're going to look at today, you'll hear this language of the Apostle Paul, this language of putting off and, and putting on, putting off the old filthy garments and putting on the righteousness of Jesus and our identity with him, in him. And this is, this is so important. It's the reason why I'm, I'm camping out on it for just a moment before I, I give you some exhortations to live by. It's so important that we remind ourselves of the gospel. In fact, last week's passage uh, began with the word therefore. This week's passage, you'll see at the very beginning, again, the word therefore. Nine times throughout this letter, the apostle Paul uses the word therefore because as he exhorts God's people about what they are to look like as these new creations, he constantly wants them looking back to what has been already said, not necessarily what you ought to do alone, but what has been done for you by Jesus. And so hear this, it does no good to put off and to put on these things that we're gonna talk about this morning without Jesus. God doesn't want your self-righteous behavior. He wants your humble heart looking to him as all-sufficient, depending upon him for his grace and for his spirit. And so this morning we're going to continue to build, I think you'll see, on where we have been these past couple weeks, and I'm going to invite you Uh, if you're able and if you're willing where you are to stand for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter four. I'm gonna start uh, in verse 24, which is kind of mid-sentence, and read to the end of the chapter. Ephesians chapter four, verses 24 through 32. Listen as I read. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, In true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the title of this morning's sermon, you might have noticed, maybe not, it's called uh, conflict Close. Conflict Close, that's what we're about today and I bring up the title of the message because I'm not very good at sermon titles. Uh, my, one of my seminary professors was incredible, Adam. He spent a lot of time thinking about them. Maybe I should spend more time thinking about them but when I get a good one, when I get a clever one, I like to bring your attention to it and so Conflict Close is what we're about this morning, because Paul here is giving the church a list of things to put on, particularly in our life together, knowing that there will be, as we've talked about in the last couple weeks, knowing that there will be conflict. As you know, if you've been listening in the past couple of weeks, we have been camping out on this subject of unity on being a community in the midst of not only diverse backgrounds, but diverse ways of looking at the world, diverse opinions. And conflict is inevitable. When two sinners say, I do, when a congregation full of diversity says, I will, in committing to one another, And particularly when we're in a cultural and political moment like we are these days. And so how do we conduct ourselves as a community, as a unified community, when there's conflict? Well, you may be tired of hearing this and I hope I'm not uh, beating a dead horse but I'm concerned about the unity of our church. I'm concerned about the unity of the church and I'm not just speaking about Ascension Presbyterian, I'm speaking about the evangelical church. And so I wanted to camp out here again today to let God's word drive home a few more things. Week one was the foundational reality that we are one in Christ. Week two, we talked about the motivation and the challenge to maintain that unity, the slowness that it takes. And now today, we're gonna speak about the clothes that we ought to wear, that we ought to put on in the face of conflict. We're not gonna exhaust this section. There's a lot more that could be said than I'm gonna say in these next few minutes, but I wanna focus on just A few key words in this passage, a few articles of clothing, three in particular. And the first one is this. Real simple points today, kids. Christian, put on truth. Christian, put on truth. That's the first thing that Paul mentions, that we are to be a people of truth. Truth lived out in community. Truth is to be spoken To our neighbor, but then as Paul goes on to point out, we are members of one another, and so he's pointing us specifically to the community of the church, not just the neighbors around us. And how easily indeed our mission can be derailed if there isn't truth, if there isn't trust between us. And so our lives as the church, as Christians, are to be characterized by truth. And of course, we can, think this in a, we can think of this in a very simple way and in contrast to falsehood, we need to be people who speak the truth, who reflect the God of truth, even in the, in the little things. God means what he says whenever he says something, so we ought to mean what we say whenever we say something. But more important than that even, and what Paul is really speaking of here. In the context of the church is the exhortation way back in verse, four, excuse me, four, verse 15 where he says, speaking the truth in love, we want to grow up together in him. You see, what Paul is calling you to put on is confrontational truth. Confrontational truth bringing God's word to bear on another brother or sister in Christ for their benefit because they are failing to live up to it. Now I say that and you think, boy, that is, that's meddling, it is, it's it's meddling. Paul's meddling in our lives, he's encouraging us to meddle at times in one another's Lives, but this is what the church is all about. This is what a community of believers is all about. We are being built up to maturity. Sometimes that involves confronting someone with the truth of sin, the truth of their lack of discernment. I mean, how do we do that? Well, we spoke about that last week. We do that slowly, we do that. Deliberately, We do that according to the principles of, of Matthew 18. We do it bathed in prayer and with compassion. And I recognize this is, this is tough. This is difficult to do. And yet God in his wisdom knows that we need one another. I need to be able to know that someone would love me enough to speak the truth to me, especially when I don't want to hear it. And so when you think about putting on truth, confrontational truth, what keeps you from speaking? What keeps us from speaking the truth to one another? Well, I think at least two things. Number one, we fear one another. We fear our own safety, our own reputation. But when we are living our lives saturated with the gospel truths that Paul has outlined in verses or chapters one through three of Ephesians, we're secure who we are in Christ. And we need not fear what man can do to us or fear what man thinks of us. We need to put on truth. But what keeps us from receiving truth? Because that's often another problem. Well, I think two things: one is our pride our lack of, of humility in the face of someone speaking God's word to us. And then the second thing that makes it difficult to receive truth is how that truth teller has gone about speaking it, right? And that brings in the host of things that we've talked about last week of, of gentleness and slowness. Put on truth, confrontational truth. But let me say one more thing before we leave this idea of truth. And this is important. When Paul is encouraging the church to speak truth to one another, I don't, and even when he says it's confrontational truth, I don't believe that Paul is telling us to speak controversial truth. And what I mean by controversial truth is your specific slant on the issues of the day. We've got to examine what, what are hills worth dying on and what are those things that maybe we ought to debate, maybe we ought to engage, but at the end of the day, we might disagree in love. It's not to say that there's two truths, there is one truth, but God's word, though it's sufficient, though it's clear, it doesn't speak to every issue in every bit of specificity that we would like. And so as we speak truth to one another, let's be careful, particularly when we speak confrontational truth, that it's not controversial truth, but that we are speaking the principles of this word and not merely truth our own opinions, or our own take. So that's the first thing. Christian, put on truth. The second, uh, the second piece of clothing is this. Christian, put on godly anger. Put on godly anger. I'm gonna ask a rhetorical question that I know the answer to. Has anyone struggled with anger in the past 12 weeks in any form? I suspect you have, whether it be anger at a virus that's been incredibly disruptive and destructive, whether you're angry at violence in our country, even in our very city, or maybe you're angry at the government, you're angry at our governor, or you're angry at our president. What do we do with our anger? Well, there are plenty of passages in the Word that speak about anger. So many of them just outright condemn anger, say stay away from it, but there are two things I think we learn about anger in this passage, and first of all, we are reminded, or maybe taught, that anger is not necessarily a sin. That there is indeed a time to be angry, which is why Paul is saying be angry and do not sin. Right? Jesus did this. He was angry. He didn't sin. As the Pharisee tried to find something to accuse him in Mark 3, he says, and he looked around them at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of hearts. And James exhorts the church in James chapter one to be slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So there is a time to be angry and maybe we need a little bit more of Christian anger in our day. Because oftentimes we too easily compromise With sin in a way that doesn't honor the Lord, in a way that doesn't defend his purity, that doesn't defend his great name. The writer of Psalm 119 wrote in 119 verse 53, hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. It's good to be angry, to hate the things that the Lord hates, but we must be very, very, very careful always keeping our hearts in check when we feel that anger rising within us. John Piper, a well-known author, pastor, uh, a name many of you I know are familiar with, um, he says there are three, at least three criteria for righteous anger, and I think it's so helpful what he says. I wanted to share it with you this morning. First of all, he says righteous anger is based upon God, right? It doesn't arise out of a personal slight or a grudge. It doesn't contain spite or revenge. It's solely out of indignation for the honor of the God that we love and the God that we serve. The anger that's commended in the Bible is always this kind of anger. So if anger, righteous anger is always based on God, secondly, it's mingled with grief. Grief. Right, we heard that in that passage that described Jesus and his anger. There's no joy in anger. There's only a longing for reconciliation. See, righteous anger doesn't harden our hearts. It, it actually softens our hearts as we grieve. And then the final Criteria that, that Piper gives that's actually right here in our passage is that righteous anger is short. He compares it to, to biological adrenaline. It's great, it's good, it's okay in short bursts, in life-threatening situations where great energy is needed, but, but a long-term, continuous, slow drip of anger in your heart will kill you. Which is why Paul says be angry, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. Right? This is one of the classic passages that, that I and others use in premarital counseling as we speak about sinners saying, I do. Anger can be a smoldering ember. So it's, it's important, it's vital that we make sure that it's out. So, Christian, put on godly anger. Put off ungodly anger, keeping your anger in check. And then the final exhortation this morning that we find in this passage. There's some others that we could have gone, but I just wanted to focus on three this morning. Christian, put on truth. Christian, put on anger, godly anger. Now, Christian put on kindness, kindness. No hidden meaning here, no complex Greek construction, just kindness. Over the top gospel kindness. Two things he says about kindness here in our passage. First of all, it's tender hearted as opposed to the callousness that he says the Gentiles have back in verse 19 uh, before the passage that we read this morning. And as opposed to that callousness, kindness is, is tender. It feels things. It feels them quickly. Right, and I, and I confess, I struggle at times with this kind of tender tenderheartedness. This is the kind of tenderheartedness that Jesus exemplified as he understood as he felt and was sensitive to the needs and the touches of those around him and he spoke to them with grace we we didn't even cover that but verse 29 talks all about grace filled speech which is part of the, the kindness that we're called to so putting on kindness is tender hearted and then Secondly, in our passage, it's forgiving. Biblical forgiveness is not some flippancy, flippancy towards sin, but it's rather a handling of sin in which both parties are sufficiently healed. There's a transaction that's take place. The offender has offered repentance. The offended has accepted the repentance. And it's a done deal. This is the way Christ deals with us, Right? And aren't we thankful that it is? So Christian, put on kindness. I'm not sure which of these three things you needed to hear most this morning. I trust that the Holy Spirit will will take it and apply it to your heart in an appropriate way. Maybe, Maybe it was truth. You need to be prodded to speak up. Maybe it was anger. You need to be encouraged to defend God's honor. Or maybe it was kindness. You need to be encouraged to not forget about the person in front of you in your passion for your view or your ideology. Why do I talk about this this morning? Well, before we wrap up, let me give two final reasons that our text gives us of why we ought to pursue these things. Verse 27 makes it clear, it's very short. And give no opportunity to the dev- devil. You see, I've been praying for weeks. Months. We as a session have been praying for weeks and months that the devil would not get a foothold in the lives of the followers of Christ in order to wreak havoc. The spiritual nature of our lives demands that we are on guard, that we are on watch against his schemes for our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with the powers, the principalities of this present darkness. But then secondly, final reason why we ought to pursue these things is where he ends, the very last words that he says in this chapter, God in Christ forgave you. We began with the gospel and we end with the gospel. It's all about the gospel. Truth, may we be people of truth, putting on truth, speaking clearly with the backing of his word. May we be angry, righteously angry, appropriately angry in this age of outrage. And may we be kind. May we exude kindness in all of these things, reflecting the God who has saved us, the Savior who loves us. Amen, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I confessed just a moment ago, I don't know precisely what each of your servants needed to hear this morning, what they needed to be encouraged in, what article of gospel living they needed to put on or, or, or put off. Father, I pray, I pray earnestly that you would take this word, plant it deep in us, and use it for our good, for the peace and purity of your church, for the glory of your great name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.